You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel is just past halfway in your Bible. Uh, if you're using one of the pew, uh, the chairback Bibles, um, there is a page number in your bulletin for Ezekiel. It's uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Uh, and so as you're uh, finding your place there, which is uh, probably not a place that you typically go in your quiet time readings unless somebody directs you there, which I hope they do. Um, but as you're turning there to Ezekiel chapter 1, I just want to take a little bit of a poll, okay? I need a little bit of a poll. Uh, how many of you have ever heard somebody say about Christianity, it's not about religion, it's about relationship? Anybody ever heard that? Okay, raise your hands, raise them high, go ahead. Okay, keep them raised if you would affirm that statement. Raise your hands, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my, my hand raised. Um, I would affirm that that is true in this sense, uh, that, that the Christian life is not about a set of external religion, uh, external rituals, it, it's not about a certain list of do's and don'ts, it's, it's not about earning our way into God's favor. So I think you guys thought I was giving you a trick question because I saw a lot of hands kind of going like this. But I do wonder if we would all mean the same thing when we describe the second half of that statement, uh, that it's about a relationship with God. Because I think, I think some people think about a relationship with God like you think about a relationship with your great uncle on your mother's side, who you've really never met. You heard about him before. You know his name, so you looked him up on Facebook, and, uh, and, and maybe you became friends. Uh, my great uncle just friend requested me the other day. I thought that was kind of cool, I guess. Um, and and uh, you share the same blood, and so therefore you have a relationship, right, of some sort, I guess. Uh, other, other people take a relationship with God really far to the other end of the spectrum, and um, it's kind of like having coffee with your bestie. And, and you just tell them all of your feelings and all of your dreams and all of your hopes. And, and uh, all that they really do is affirm you because they think exactly like you do. You've been together. You've been joined at the hip since like you were five. And, and, uh, and so they just affirm you and, and tell you exactly what you want to hear. And, and uh, we kind of like bring God down to our level that has no resemblance of who he actually is. Still others have a relationship with God that I think looks a lot like religion. Uh, they go through the motions. They show up at church. They sing the songs. They attend their gospel community sometimes. They read their Bibles at times. They pray before dinner, before bed. But it's not like God is a personal, active, regular participant in their lives. I'd imagine that a lot of us can relate to that description, at least in certain seasons. And, and believe me, like, I'm not preaching at you here. Like, I've got this going on, and, like, I can relate to all three of those concepts at different points, at different seasons in my life. And, and like, even this week, I think there were times where I felt like I was just going through the motions, and I needed to, like, 
recall that I'm actually in the presence of a holy God and I needed to have my senses recalibrated to that fact. It's hard to relate to someone who's invisible to us, isn't it? It's a challenge. And yet God's word would call us to something that is different than all of these, I believe. A God through his word would call us to a relationship that recognizes both his transcendence, both the bigness of who he is, and his imminence, how near and close he wants to come to his people. His personal care and his concern about the details of our lives And and that's why we're doing this series, Encounters with God. That, that, That we would grow in our understanding of what it means to encounter the living God together. That he would... That we would see how great he is and that we would also see how that great God has promised to meet with us, his people. So we talked about this verse on Good Friday, uh, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ suffered, also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus died so that we could draw near to the holy God of the universe. We don't want to squander that, right? We we don't want to waste that sacrifice by refusing to draw near. Psalm 105 that Keith read earlier says this. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. We are commanded, we are called, we are invited to pursue the very presence of God, to realize the very presence of God in our lives. 2 Corinthians 3, 17-18 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And then he makes this amazingly bold statement. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of Of the Lord. Beholding the glory of the Lord. Are being transformed. Into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord. Who is. The spirit. God wants us through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit, to behold His glory. To truly and personally encounter Him. To know who He is. And to also know that He is active in the affairs of our lives. And then to be completely changed by Him. To turn from our sin, to to trust in Him, to be transformed into His image, into His righteousness, into His holiness, into His beauty. And so the question that we need to ask today then is, who is this God that we are beholding? What is this glory that we get to look at? What is this glory that has indwelled us in the Holy Spirit? What is the presence of God that we seek? So here's the big idea for this morning. When I truly encounter God, I am brought low before His glory. When I truly encounter God, I am brought low before 
His glory. This series is a little bit different. We're in Ezekiel chapter 1 today. We usually go through a whole book of the Bible at a time, uh, passage by passage, verse by verse. But, but in this series, we're still going to preach expository sermons. So verse by verse explanations of a passage. Uh, different, and we're going to do that, though, from different parts of the Bible that help us see what it means to encounter God. Uh, most of the passages that we're going to go to in this series uh, is going to be uh, theophany passages. Uh, passages where uh, God encountered people in some sort of visible form. There's going to be a couple exceptions throughout this series. Uh, that The series itself is going to take us through the end of May. But, but theophanies, the times when God encountered people in visible form. And it's going to take us to a lot of different parts of, of God's word. So today we're in the prophets, specifically in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a, a prophet of God during a time when Israel, God's people, had been taken away into captivity in a, a nation called Babylon. And, and this was a divine punishment because Israel had turned their backs on the living God. They had this covenant with God, kind of like a marriage covenant, and they broke it. And they gone after false idols and they committed spiritual adultery. And so Ezekiel's job is to, to proclaim judgment against Israel and to proclaim judgment against the nations. And not, not only did he proclaim judgment, he had to like reenact the judgment sometimes in some really strange ways. So he had to like build this tiny little representation of the city of Jerusalem and then show how a siege was laid against it. Like, whenever I read that, I think of, like, when, we, when us guys were playing, like, Army Men and Lincoln Logs when we were kids. You know, like, it's just, it's just crazy stuff. And then he had to, like, lay down on his side for a year, bound up, tethered, and, and he had to eat his dinner cooked over human poop. Disgusting, right? To sh- and it was to show how disgusting the, the nation of Israel's sin had become and how, how terrible this exile was going to be and if that's all not bad enough god tells him from the outset that no one is going to listen to him so i'm going to call you to do all of these crazy things you gotta go through like like he he did that whole lay on your side thing for a over a year over a year of his life was spent laying on his side showing the people of israel how messed up they were and god says nobody's gonna listen to you Now, at the end of the book of Ezekiel, uh, he also describes the hope for the remnant of Israel. So the, the whole book isn't all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but it, this was certainly not an easy calling. This was certainly not a fun calling. And so what's going to keep Ezekiel going in all of that? What's going to sustain him? And what we see in the way that the book is laid out is that it's the vision of the glory of God that we're about to study today that keeps Ezekiel going. That's what chapter 1 is all about. If he hadn't seen this vision of the glory of God, I don't believe that Ezekiel would have done anything that God would have called him to do. The chapter is going to end with these words. He says, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. 
And what follows then is God's call on Ezekiel's life. It's the, the glory that enabled him to hear the call, but first he had to fall on his face. And when we encounter the glory of God, when we truly encounter God, we get low before his glory. Today we want to see from this text three reasons why we need to get low. Uh, the first is this. Get low because God's glory is present in our situations. Get low because God's glory is present in our situations. So look down in your Bibles at Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel writes, In the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kabar Canal, the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Kibar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So Ezekiel says that this is the 30th year. Now, now he doesn't give any reference point, right? So like the 30th year of what? And, and most commentators agree that this is actually the 30th year of Ezekiel's life. Um, that's the year that you would have entered the actual ministry of a priest if you were born into that lineage. And you saw in verse 3 that that's what Ezekiel was. He was a priest. And so this was kind of a big year for Ezekiel. This would have been something that Ezekiel looked forward to his entire life. This is better than getting your driver's license at age 16. This is better than whatever you did when you turned 21. This was better than getting to rent a car at age 25. Like, Ezekiel is entering into the vocation that he was born for. This is the moment that he had been waiting for. His, his dad, Boozy, would have been a, a priest. His, his grandfather would have been a priest. His great-grandfather would have been a priest. And so he would have grown up around the temple in all of its magnificent images and symbolism, knowing that the Holy of Holies was just on the other side of that, that big, thick curtain that, that he would have seen those, those crazy-looking cherubim sewn into it. And now he was in his 30th year. Ezekiel got to be a priest before the Most High God. Like, like this was something that he had waited for all his life. Except that his, as his birthday came and passed, he was where he had been for the last five years. Stuck in Babylon. In exile. With the rest of God's people. He, he's living hundreds of miles away from the temple. He's separated by deserts and, and by a couple bodies of water. So, so here's a map for you. Like Babylon is all the way over on this side of the screen. And, and, and Jerusalem where the temple is. Is all the way over on the, the left side. Hundreds of miles. It would have taken nearly a month. To even just make the journey. He's stuck in Babylon. He's sitting next to an irrigation canal while the temple of God, where the presence of God is encountered, is so far away. 
And we'll also find out that a storm is rolling in and it's about to rain on his head. Like, this is not a good day for Ezekiel. Or at least it doesn't seem to be. He's, he's 30 years old. He's living in a captive foreign nation. His people are under God's punishment. He's feeling rather purposeless. Like, like did you ever have a time in your life when, when you're like, like, this is just not where I imagine myself to be at this point in my life. This is just not how I pictured my life going. Where is God in all of this? Has he abandoned? Is he invisible? Is he, is he somewhere far away? Is he way back in Jerusalem, not caring about his people, just kicking them to the curb? He's done with them. But it was in that setting, by the Kabar Canal, that the heavens were opened. And he saw visions of God. The the veil between the heavenly realm and the earthly realm was opened up to him. And it was in that setting that the hand of the Lord was upon him. Far from the temple, far from where the glory of God should have been in his mind. There he encountered God. And it's in these first three verses that I want us to see that God is present in our situations. Now, I'm not saying that we're all Ezekiel. In fact, very few people in the history of the world got to see what Ezekiel saw in the way that he saw it. Like, like Moses and um, Isaiah and the Apostle John are like some of the few that come to my mind. So like in the history of the world, Ezekiel is unique in, in a lot of ways. Very few people had a similar calling to do the things that Ezekiel did. Uh, Jeremiah and some of the other prophets had to do some pretty weird things. I think Ezekiel still takes the cake. But in the history of the world, he's unique. And so we're not Ezekiel. But at the same time, I want you to see that God was meeting Ezekiel and he was meeting his people through Ezekiel because Ezekiel was their prophet. He was meeting them while they were in exile. He was meeting them in the place of their punishment. He was meeting them in the judgment of their sins. And he was calling them back to himself. He he didn't punish them in order to throw them aside, but to cause them to turn to him. In these first three verses, I think Ezekiel is a perfect example of Psalm 139. Maybe you're familiar with this one. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, that's the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light Listen, we serve a God who is present. We serve a God who is present. And the question is, will we realize His presence? Will we realize His presence? Ezekiel, God's people, could have assumed that God was done with them. They could have assumed that that they had broken God's law and just that was it. And and they could have gotten bitter at God. They could have turned their back and just kind of gone after the Babylonian gods. Maybe they'll stick with us. 
After all, that's kind of basically what they had done when they lived back in Israel, right? Like, that's what they were used to. It's just going after other gods. But God was using this exile. He was using his prophets to bring them back into right relationship with himself. He was calling them to repentance and restoring them to hope. And so I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, uh, how often, how often do I realize the presence of God in my life? How often do I realize the presence of God in my life? We've read it a couple times now this morning. Psalm 105 verse 4. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. How often are you aware that the glorious God that we're about to read about is present present with you? So when you're at work, do you think about God being right there in the cubicle next to you or, or, or on the construction site with you, depending on how you work? Do you realize His presence there? Or when you're at school, students, do you realize that the presence of the glory of God is sitting with you as you listen to lectures and, and as you take tests or, or as you laugh with your friends and make jokes in the lunchroom? Like, do you realize that there's a presence of a holy God there? Or when you're disciplining your kids, like, like, boy, did I need this one yesterday. Lots of discipline. Love them. But do you realize that God is present with you and with them? When you're in the church, when you're in church, do you realize that God has promised to be specially with his people and that he delights to hear you sing? He delights in the praises of his people and he's listening. And this isn't just something where we're reading words off a screen. We're talking to a holy God. In your gospel community, are you aware that God wants to show up in that place and speak through people whom he has indwelled with his very spirit? I would encourage you to, to actively make this a part of your thought process in all of those things. And in, in, in any suffering that you're going through, in any situation that you're going through, make this a part of your active thought process. Uh, God, wherever I am going, God wants me to seek His presence there. Wherever I am going, God wants me to seek His presence there. And when you do realize His presence, that realization should fill you with awe and bring you to your knees. And if it doesn't, I, I, would, I would just suggest that you need a, a fresh vision of who God is. Which is what's coming next in these verses of Ezekiel chapter 1. Uh, Ezekiel's going to recount the vision that he saw there by the Kabar Canal. And, and it's going to be unlike anything that we have ever seen or experienced. It's like he's kind of grasping for words in order to describe it. And so, so here's what we're going to see in this next section. We need to get low because God's glory is peculiar to our senses. God's glory is peculiar to our senses. It, it, it's strange to us. It's, it's different than anything that we could know or imagine. And that's good. As we get this vision, we're going to see five ways the glory of God is peculiar to our senses. 
Uh, Ezekiel is going to take us on a journey fr from the first sight of the whole thing to the servants that are under the throne, to the way that they move, to the throne itself, to the one who sits on the throne. And, and all of this is the appearance of the glory of the Lord. That's how Ezekiel describes it in verse 28. The appearance of the glory of the Lord. And all of it is meant to give us this sense of, of weightiness, of, of holiness, of the otherness of God. And so five ways that the glory of God is peculiar to our senses. The first one is this. It's a peculiar appearance. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north and a great cloud with brightness around it and fire flashing forth continually and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. So like we had a storm the other night. This isn't your average storm cloud, right? Like. When was the last time you saw a cloud that had fire in it and looked like gleaming metal? Like, like maybe we've seen some heat lightning before, and that looks pretty amazing, and we're pretty in awe of that. Um, you know, maybe you've seen a pretty big lightning storm before, but, but non-stop fire, gleaming metal. Paul tells us that, that, that the Father dwells in unapproachable light, Right? And this vision of Ezekiel gives us that same sense of the, the peculiar and awesome appearance that, that, that most of us would be running for cover. Like we run for cover from storm clouds, right? We'd be running for cover for this. But it's certainly not the most peculiar thing. Uh, next, Ezekiel goes on to explain some peculiar servants. These guys are fun. Verse 5. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness. So I want you to notice he's, he's using words like, like, this is what they looked like. This, this is, he's grasping for words here. They had a human likeness. So the general overall shape of them was human. Although I don't know any humans that are shaped like this. Um, each had four faces and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the soles of a calf's foot. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. And under their wings on the four sides, they had human hands. And the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. So you can kind of picture them we're going to see in a moment that they're underneath this, this expanse or this platform. So they're, they're holding up uh, what most commentators believe is, is the chariot throne of the Lord. And so you can kind of picture them kind of in this square with their wings kind of making the, the right angles of the square and touching one another. But they're very, very large. Okay. So their four wings touched each other, and each one of them, verse 9, each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. Uh, so, they, they make these kind of like forward motions. The human face is always the one that's facing forward. Uh, it's facing out from the four corners of that square. And, and so, uh, there's always an angel that is kind of leading the way. They're, they're always the one going forward, and the other four are just going with them. They didn't turn as they went. They just went. 
As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. The four had the face of an eagle, which would have been on the remaining side. So human, lion, ox, and eagle. In chapter 10, Ezekiel identifies the same creature as a cherubim. It's a type of angelic being. And there he says that, that they have the face of a cherub instead of the face of an ox. So apparently cherubs somehow uh, have ox-like characteristics. But he says these are the same, in chapter 10, he says these are the same living creatures that I saw in, in chapter 1. Um, and uh, they're just incredible creatures. A lot of commentators believe that uh, they, they represent uh, the, the different parts of God's creation. So humanity is always face first. Uh, humanity was the pinnacle of God's creation, uh, but then you have the lion uh, that is uh, the, the chief of the beasts of the, of, of, that are not tamed, right? The untamed beasts, uh, the lion being the most powerful, and then you have the ox, which is the, the most powerful among the tamed beasts, and then you have uh, the eagle, which is the most powerful of the birds of the air. And, and so they, they are representative of God's creation here holding up the throne of God. Verse 11, Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above, and each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while the two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. Wherever the Spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. So they, they share this common spirit, and we're going to see that again in a, in a couple of minutes. Where, where they go in one accord together. And as for the likeness of the creatures, the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning. So you can kind of just imagine, in between that expanse, between their wings, uh, the fire is just going back and forth, and it, it's... It's, it's powerful and, and consuming, and, and we just can't imagine something like this, right? This, this idea of fire is, is so typical in this vision. It's, it's this idea of, of glory and consuming nature, beauty. These are peculiar servants. They're not typically what you think of when you think of angels, right? Like little babies sitting in diapers playing harps on clouds. Not these guys. It's not even what you typically picture in like cartoons or Jesus films, right? This is like, like I'm going to wet my pants kind of stuff when I look at this. Like This is what horror films are made of. These, these are beings unlike anything that we've ever seen. They are peculiar to our senses. And then it gets really weird. Uh, not too many people understand what this next part means. I'm not going to claim that I do either, uh, but I'm going to put it in the category of peculiar movement and knowledge. Verse 14. And the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. So there's, there's a wheel Beside each of the creatures, 
As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, the appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. Now, this is a beryl is a green like stone. Uh, some commentators think that that's not the right stone; that it'd be more like an orangish or like more like the bronze that we would see. Um, the four had the same likeness, and their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. So now we got two wheels going, but they're like one wheel, and uh, I'm not sure if they're like turned like a gyroscope or if they're kind of circular but but either way when they went they didn't they, they went in any of four directions without turning as they went so a wheel that doesn't need to turn and their rims were tall and awesome i think that's the funniest part like he's like like of all the things that you can say is tall and awesome like the rims it's kind of like a car guy like nice <laughs> rims guy but but i think we're going to see why they're tall and awesome the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. So now the rim, now the wheels have eyes, like everywhere. And I mean, we're we're kind of like it, it's strange to us now, but I think if we were looking at this, we'd be like, "What is going on?" And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. And wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So now these are not just stationary, they're not just inanimate objects. These are like part of, in some way, the spiritual connection between the four living creatures. This is peculiar to our senses. And when those went, they went. When those rose, these stood. I mean, when those stood, these stood. When those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And I, I personally think that these wheels are the most confusing part of the whole vision, but, but remember, they're, they're related to the four living creatures. Uh, they're part of this chariot throne of the Lord. And, and I see in this description the ability for incredible movement and incredible knowledge. And so let's just first of all talk about incredible movement. The, the wheels move in all directions instantaneously. We just think it and we're there. And it makes me think of the, the idea of God's omnipresence. The, the fact that God can be everywhere and anywhere at once, and yet, and yet is also specifically demonstrating His glory in profound and amazing ways, in specific ways, at different places according to circumstance and situation. So when the church gathers, their God is present in a special, unique way. When we're fulfilling the great commission of making disciples, Jesus says He's with us in that. When we're praying, God is hearing. So God is able to be everywhere at once and yet specially present at once. And I think the wheels are a part of that revelation. But we also see in the wheels a knowledge or omniscience. That God knows all things. And I think that's what's being described in the idea that the wheels have eyes all around. The eye is the entry point of knowledge into the body. We, we learn with, by seeing. This is the all-seeing God. The all-knowing God. Whether that's what's being described here or not, uh, those things are true. And these wheels do move with the living creatures who are then underneath this peculiar 
throne. So look at verse 22. Over the heads of the living creatures, there was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out above their heads. So the word expanse means uh, firmament or platform. So it's this kind of like crystal-like or ice-like platform that is above the heads of the cherubim. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward one another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. So we already learned that. So the wings are holding up this platform. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, the sound of a tumult, like the sound of an army. So this is like multimedia overload now, just loud and 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 he's taking in the visuals of all this, and it's just overwhelming and And when they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. So under the expanse is the cherubim. Over the expanse is the throne. Over this platform is the throne. And it's the appearance like sapphire. This is, this is a beautiful throne for a beautiful God. This, this is unlike any throne you have ever seen before. Like, I mean, there, there are some pretty cool thrones out here. So here's some more notable thrones uh, throughout history. Tsar Ivan's throne, that was pretty cool. The marble throne of Persia. King Edward's chair. Charlemagne's throne. There's some notable thrones. A throne was meant to capture the splendor of the king who sat on it. And many of us would would probably love to see any one of these thrones in person. We would love to go travel to see one of these thrones. But if you were to compare any of those thrones to Ezekiel's vision, you'd have to say, lame. Absolutely lame. God's throne dwarfs any other in size or beauty. The sights and sounds are overwhelming. They're they're peculiar to Ezekiel's senses. They're peculiar to our senses as he tries to describe them to us. And at this point, Ezekiel is on sensory overload. And then he sees him. The peculiar deity. I mean, no disrespect by that word peculiar he has a peculiar glory something that is unlike anything that we've ever seen before Uh, verse 26 there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance a human appearance and upward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw, as it were, the gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. I found it interesting, he, he just uses this word appearance, like he's just trying to describe something like what we would know so that we can have a little bit of a sense of what this is. Notice he doesn't describe his face, right? That there's, there, there's no 
real definite images here other than uh, glory and beauty. This is a God that words can barely describe. We know from other passages that God is spirit. And so this is some sort of revelation of God's glory that Ezekiel can understand. And this is what God wants us to know about who He is. This is what God wants us to understand about His glory. And it's fearsome and it's awesome. And it's a lot different than many of the conceptions about God in our day. The image of God that many have in their minds is something like Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel. You can put those pictures up on the screen. The, the old guy with gray hair, great white hair. He looks kind of approachable, certainly not fearsome. Other thing, others think of God like William Young's book and movie, The Shack. An African-American woman, a Jewish carpenter, and a Middle Eastern woman all together making up the Trinity. How does that compare to Ezekiel's vision? Just allow that to allow you to, to guide your discernment when you're reading books like that. We don't get to add to God's revelation of Himself in His Word. Others think of God as some force that's out there, some force that's impersonal, distant from His people, unconcerned with the affairs of men, not personal in His nature, and yet he, this one has a human appearance. He is personal. They think that he's too busy in some other corner of the universe than to deal with the affairs of men. But here we see a God who is enthroned above the cherubim, moving effortlessly throughout time and space, and yet is somehow in another realm. Remember, the heavens were open, and so he's even beyond this world. He's beyond this universe. He is transcendent in glory, and yet personally moving toward His people. He is unlike anything that our senses have ever encountered. He is beyond all description. And I just wonder, when you, when you think about God, is this vision of Ezekiel anything close to what your mind considers? When you think about God, is this vision of Ezekiel anything close to what your mind considers? He's the God who is with you. He's the God who is revealing Himself to you right now through His Word. He's present by His Spirit with you in this moment. And so when you think about God and you try to motivate yourself to pray and to talk to Him, is this the God that you're thinking about? When you think about God as you consider obedience to His commandments, is this the God that you're thinking about? See, God gave Ezekiel this vision so that we could know and encounter Him. He gave him this vision to empower and energize him, Ezekiel, in a very difficult calling. He gave Ezekiel this vision to validate his message to the nation of Israel. And God gave us this vision through Ezekiel so that we could know what He is like. See, when we open a passage of Scripture like this, we are encountering the very same God. He's revealing Himself to us through His Word. 
And this is, by the way, a revelation that is very consistent with Moses and what he saw and Isaiah, what he described in his prophecy. And it's consistent with with John's account in Revelation four and five. Such was the appearance of the glory of the Lord. This is the God we encounter. This is the God whose presence we seek. This is the God who through Christ, we all with unveiled face are beholding His glory and are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. And when we really get a hold of that fact, when we really understand that this is our God, we get low. Listen, we were laughing earlier. Mostly laughing at ourselves because we can't even imagine something like this. But the glory of God is not a laughing matter. It brings us low before Him. The glory of God is pulverizing to our self-glory. That's this last point that we want to look at this morning. The glory of God is pulverizing to our self-glory. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. God's glory is pulverizing to our self-glory. The, the Hebrew word for glory is kavod. It means weightiness. It's like when someone says, like, whoa, that's heavy. And isn't that what Ezekiel just described, right? Like it knocks you off your feet Face first as a first reaction. You don't even have to think about it. It's just natural inclination. I'm on my feet. Face. You see, we tend to put ourselves up on a pedestal. We, we tend to create a, a throne for ourselves. So uh, we, we tend to, to be this little Lego man here. He's looking all happy, sitting on his throne. And we try to make ourselves look just right on social media. So that everybody thinks good thoughts about us. We, we try to gain status and the praise of others in our sphere of influence. We try to posture for titles or positions, whether it be in the church or in our company or in the community. We, we imagine our own self-glory by, by thinking that we can maintain control of our lives and we put ourselves on the throne. We seek maximum comfort and pleasure for ourselves But none of that will stand when we truly encounter the weight of the glory of God. Ezekiel's response is the common response when coming face to face. With the visible manifestation of God. He gets as low 
as he possibly can. He humbles himself. He falls face down in the dirt. And in chapter 3, Ezekiel says that when it was all over, he just went back to his camp where everybody was staying, and he just sat there completely overwhelmed for seven days straight. Couldn't move. Couldn't do anything. He just sat there. This type of face-down response is similar to what we see from Abraham in front of, this heavenly me- in front of the heavenly messengers this is the response of Moses on Mount Sinai. This is, this is the response of Joshua before the commander of the army of the Lord. This is the response of Isaiah in the heavenly throne room. This is the response of John in his revelation. And this needs to be our response often. Often. It would do us good to literally sometimes make ourselves low, to bow down, to even prostrate ourselves in prayer. And then to maintain that heart posture as we go throughout our days. Because it is that from that position that we are then ready to listen to God. At the end of verse 28, Ezekiel said, I fell on my face and I heard the one speaking to me. It was from this position that Ezekiel was ready to then receive the call of God upon his life. In chapter 2, verse 1, Ezekiel tells us, He said to me, Son of man, stand to your feet. Isn't that an incredible invitation? After all that he saw and how he knew he was supposed to be faced down, God says, stand. Stand to your feet and I will speak with you. I will speak with you. I love that I speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the spirit entered me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. And then we go on with the call of Ezekiel. We have to see that we cannot stand in the presence of God's glory. That's the only way that we can move forward. We are sinners. He is the righteous and holy judge. We are finite. He is infinite. We are creature. He is creator. And it is at that point that we can understand the relationship then that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. You see, the very God of glory stepped into human existence, took on the fullness of humanity, and He lived among us, and He demonstrated His perfect righteousness and holiness. And then he died. The death that we deserve to die. In our place. On a cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. That we. Would come. To God. And then he conquered the grave and he rose again and he was seated at the right hand of the father. And all things in heaven and on earth are put under his feet. And he will have the final victory in the end. And this God has come to encounter us. And then he says, 
You encounter me by faith. You encounter me by trusting that I am who I say that I am. That I am this God. That I did come. That I did die in your place. That I did rise again. And as you encounter me by faith, I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to indwell you. Very God of very God. The Holy Spirit. The glory of God, like Ezekiel saw, indwelling us. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. True freedom means that we get to come face to face with the weight of the glory of God. Which will mean that we aren't living for ourselves in our own ways anymore. Our thrones are crashed. They're shattered. We aren't living for our own glory anymore. We're living for His. And then we're transformed into the same image of God from one degree of glory to another. That means that we become like Him in His character, in His glory, in His holiness. That's the relationship that Jesus died to bring you into. Brings a little bit of a new definition to say that the Christian life is about a relationship, isn't it? And so let me close with this thought. What does a relationship with that God mean to you? Now that you've spent some time dwelling on his glory. How are you relating to him? Are there any parts of your life that you've been living for your own glory or someone else's glory that you've been exalting yourself to your own throne? That need to be crushed. Under the weight of his. Let's pray and then we're going to sing. We're going to sing. Believing that God is listening. Father, we are overwhelmed by the thought that you would call us into relationship with your son. That you would call us children of the most high God. Based upon his righteousness and his holiness. Paying. For the debt that we owed you. Would you just take a moment and maybe if you can physically get low before the Lord uh, on your knees. Father we. Confess our sins before you. We confess that we are unclean in your presence, apart from the work of Jesus Christ.
Just take a moment to confess any ways that you've put yourself on the throne. That you've lived for your own glory, made others bow to your own glory. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.